it all, but Father, we know that, God, that you are near. God, you are leading and you are moving. And God, we pray for tonight. We pray that, Father, your spirit would move. God, that your word would be revealed. God, that it would be more transparent than we've ever seen it before. God, that you would remove me. Father, that your word would speak through. Lord, we love you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome back. Glad that you all made it through another holiday adventure, that you were able to endure the, the long nights of staying up and sleeping in and all the hardships that come with taking a break. Appreciate you guys uh, trucking through all that over the last few weeks. And man, I'm so glad you guys are back. I'll tell you what, I, I enjoy being able to, to kind of take a step back, kind of re-examine, look towards the future, kind of take a break in a sense. Uh, but man, I'm excited. I'm excited. I miss you guys. I miss being able to be with you guys. And I'm really, really glad that we're able to start meeting again and uh, dig into the Word of God tonight. Uh, we have a really, really, really cool story that we get a chance to be a part of. And uh, man, I, I, I'm, excited. I'm excited for you guys to see a little bit of what I'm talking about here tonight. So not too long ago, I had a kind of a, I guess, a, a resolution. I don't like the word resolution, but a New Year's goal. Uh, and one of my, I guess, my life goals, my physical goal, uh, is to run a half marathon. And so I'm running a half marathon in April, or at least plan to. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's the goal. And so I've uh, started running, started trying to get back in the swing of things and never really run that long of a distance, but I'm starting to work back into it. Uh, and so that's the plan. That's my intention. That's where I'm going. Now, a lot of times our intentions don't always meet up to where we think we're going to go, um, but that's my prayer, that's my hope, and so that's where I'm working to. Uh, and so to kind of give you an example of that is, what, this is why I told you that, because we, we oftentimes have a plan in mind, we often have a goal in mind, somewhere we want to go, somewhere we envision we're going, somewhere we feel like God is leading us to go. But sometimes we don't always end up to where we think we need to go, or we think we may be going, right? So the big question I want to start off with tonight, and just to ask you this, whenever in the Bible, God gives us, a, God calls us, gives us jobs a lot of times, but whenever in the Bible, have you ever heard God give somebody a job, give somebody a response, give them a call, and give them something to do, um, and, they, and he said, you know what, I'm going to give you a job, it's not going to be that difficult, and it's not really going to take that long. Have you ever heard him say that anywhere in Scripture? No. The obvious choice is no. We never really see that. God, when he gives, you, gives a job or gives a goal or gives a, uh, an outline to somebody, he's like, here's this. It's going to be hard. It's going to be long. And here it is. And then we kind of see a lot of examples of that. You look at Noah. story of Noah. God gives him a vision, tells him to go build a boat in the middle of the desert. No rain, no nothing around. People think he's crazy. God gives him a vision, say, go build a huge, huge boat. And uh, so he, stows, he goes and he labors and he works and he builds over years to, to build this boat for God to come in, provide a flood of rain to wash everything away. They, him and his family are safe. And it's, it's, it's something that was hard, took a long time in the process, but God's promise and presence was there. We saw the symbol of what God's talking about. Anybody know what I'm talking about, the, pro, the promise that God gave Noah? Come on, we're back in the swing of things now. God's promise that he gave Noah? What was the symbol? A rainbow. A rainbow, thank you. Now we're waking up. 
a rainbow. God gave Noah, and he said, hey, here's a rainbow. It's a symbol of my promise and of my presence, okay? And we look at the story of Abraham. Abraham was called to go to become the father of a new nation. He said, hey, you know what? Let's, let's build a community. We're going to call it Israel, and you're going to go. You're going to leave everything, and you're going to go. I'm going to tell you to walk, and you're going to walk until I tell you to stop. And so Abraham goes, not knowing where he's going, how long it's going to be. He walks. God tells him to stop plant seeds and, 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 and start a new nation. And so God gave him a promise, and, and, and his promise and presence was there as well. He gave him another symbol. Anybody know what that is? Circumcision. You think about Abraham, he's probably like, well, no, we got the rainbow. How come I got this? You know? And so he's like, he moves on to the next thing. And so God's promise and presence was there, though, regardless of what it was, okay? So his promise and presence was there. You look at Moses, how Moses led the people out of Egypt, took 40 years to get to where they were going. You look at David, he slayed Goliath. It took a long time for him to go from point A to point B, and it was difficult and it was hard, but he had to get through and he endured it. You look at Nehemiah, how he was called to rebuild the wall. It took a long time, but I mean, it, it took a short time, but it was still a long period of time. Um, you look at Esther, how she risked her life and took basically over the course of her life to the, the job that God called her to be at. Look at Joseph, he was in prison. You look at Daniel, he's thrown in the lion's den. You look at Jesus, the ultimate job calling that God placed. He went to the cross for the salvation of the world. You look at Paul, how he risked uh, his life, and, and trial after trial after trial to start the church. All these people and all these things God called to go in a most difficult circumstance over a long period of time. And we look at these things and we're like, man, like, that's crazy. Like, I can't imagine. But God's called you to the exact same thing. He's calling you to something that's bigger than yourself. He's saying, listen, I've called you and I've given you a mission. It's going to be difficult. The road's going to be long. It's going to be hard. But here it is. And just as much as these people that you read about all throughout history, he's giving you the same calling, the same job over, that's going to be difficult, it's going to be hard, but he's calling you, even as a middle school student in Cleveland, Tennessee, he's calling you. So this is where we're going tonight. God comes to these people and they're plan Bs. They have this narrow mindset. We kind of, if you kind of will look with me, we, we kind of bubble everything down to our own minute little world. You know what I'm talking about? We get caught up with school and, and, and sports and work if you have a job and relationships and our own little world. We're like, hey, I wake up, I go to school, I come home, I do homework, I go play my sport, I come back, I play Xbox, I talk to my girlfriend, uh, I do all these different things. And that's my minute little world, and I'm captivated in my world, and I really don't know what else is going on. You know what I'm talking about? And we set goals over a long period of time. We're like, you know what, maybe I'm going to go to this college and do this, and maybe I'll go here, and uh, I'll be a dentist, or I'll be a lawyer, or whatever these things are. And we have, I have goals and visions and plans. And we kind of get sucked into our own little world. And it's, we're, we're filled with our plan B. And God's called all these different people. And they had a vision and plan set forth for them that they probably thought was a totally different than what God had called them to go. They were probably like, man, we're going to do this. We're going to go here. We're going to be a part of this. And God said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here's where I want you to go. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the life that I have planned out for you. So that's where we're kind of going tonight. It takes people the willingness to say that God can use me, okay? These people God used, and you tonight have a chance to sit there in your seat and say, God, use me. All right, you ready? Are you willing for God to use you? All right, let's, let's go forward. Genesis 37, 
We'll look in Genesis 37. We're going to look at the story of Joseph. I kind of mentioned him uh, just a second ago, and I want, to, I want to take a deeper look at the story of Joseph. I'm not going to read the entire uh, few chapters that consumes the life of Joseph, but I'm going to kind of hit some main points, and you're kind of going to see a lot of Scripture tonight as it unfolds in the story and life of Joseph, all right? So the story of Joseph is basically a roller coaster, all right? It's a lot of good news, bad news scenarios, okay? And so to kind of illustrate this, I need your help. We're gonna we're gonna look at I'm gonna kind of give you a broad stroke of what the life of Joseph looks like, and I need you guys to help me out. So this side of the room right here, this half right here, you guys are gonna be the good news. Can you say good news? Good news. All right, try that again. Can you say good news? Good news. I mean, think about it. You're the good news, so you gotta be excited and happy and all that good stuff. All right, and this side of the room you're gonna be the bad news. It's not really a fun job, but guess what? You're gonna be the bad news. So here we go. Ready? Yeah. Bad news. Yeah. Bad news is not very well um, together. All right, ready? Bad news. Bad news. There we go. All right. So the story of Joseph kind of goes like this. Joseph is going along. He, he, he was born to uh, uh, his father, and his father was older in age. And so when his father had Joseph, he showed a lot of favor towards Joseph, which is? Good news. Good news. That's great. Catching on. All right. Showed a lot of favor towards Joseph, which is good news. But his brothers hated him, which is bad news. bad news. That's right. So Joseph goes on. His dad gives him this awesome, awesome, sweet coat, which is good news. good news. That's right. But his brothers strip it off, throw him in a pit, and sell him into slavery, which is bad news. It's very, very bad news. Yes. <laughs> but Joseph goes, and he's sold in slavery, and he goes to this guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar uh, makes him kind of the, the head of his household, right? And he's also a really, really good-looking dude, like Sean Lowe. Anybody watch The Bachelor? My wife does. She thinks he's a really, really good-looking dude. I may not have a shot to look like him, but I'm really, really funny, which makes me better than Sean, and that is? That's good news. That's right. And But Joseph's a, really a really good-looking dude. He goes to Potiphar's house, and he's, but... Potiphar's wife comes and seduces him and tries to seduce him anyways, and that is, I know you guys are a little confused, but yes, that is very bad news. All right. But he resists her, which is? Y'all staying with me? All right. But he resists her, which is good news, but she lies and gets him thrown into prison, which is bad news. Yeah. It's kind of, we'll, we'll stop there, but we're going to keep going at the story of Joseph. But that's kind of what this life is like. <clears throat> that's kind of the story of Joseph. That's his life. It's just good news, bad news. And you know what? It's kind of like our lives, right? We kind of have these, these moments where we set up for good news, bad news. Um, it, we have these moments where like, we pray and we pray and we pray, God, just give me uh, the chance to make this sports team. God, just please let me make this sports team. And we make the team, and that's good news. And then a couple weeks later, we have a season-ending injury. We're out for the year, and that's bad news. And we, we pray and we pray. We're like, God, just let me have a relationship with this girl or guy, right? And we pray and we pray, and we, we finally end up with a relationship with that girl or guy, and then we break up like two weeks later, and that's bad news, right? And we go for we pray and we pray and we pray, and we pray that God would keep our family together and that he would find favor on our family, which is good news. But then six months to a year later, our parents get divorced or something happens. That's bad news. We kind of have this life to where we go on this roller coaster of good news, bad news. And the problem is, is we, we kind of get sucked into the roller coaster ride. We kind of get sucked in um, to, to that whole scenario. Something good happens and then something bad happens and we pray and we, these things happen and they go back and forth. 
And we see all these good news, bad news scenarios play out in our lives. And we know that, we know that gut-riching feeling when the nightmare happens, when something bad happens, somebody dies or something happens in our life that's just terrible. And we get this gut-riching feeling in our stomach. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's just we constantly are on this emotional roller coaster and we're not really sure what God's doing or where he's at. So the big question tonight, and one thing, if you don't get anything else, I want you to think about this, is what would you do in your life if you were absolutely confident that God was with you? What would you do in your world, in your circumstance, in your life, the life that you live? Think about everything that you do during the course of a day, over the, over the weeks and everything. What would you do if you were absolutely confident that God was with you? Let's look at the, let's look at the story. Joseph, Genesis 37, starting in verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other, any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all the other brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. They hated him. See a little bit of family dysfunction already, right? The father is showing favoritism towards one son, you see the brothers that they're just hate, filled with hatred and they hate their brother and they do all these things um, to, to, to hurt him or try to, to break that up. And there's a big kind of symbol of family dysfunction right off the bat. Look at verse 23, though. We're going to jump all the way to 23. And it says, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. The robe had many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So a well, basically. And they took him and they threw him in this pit. It's kind of this breaking moment in the, in the story. It's kind of this breaking moment where Joseph's life was kind of on track. He knew what he was doing. He was, he was the favorite son. He was living life the way he wanted to live it. And all of a sudden, there's a breaking moment. He was, he was taken, he was sold into slavery, he was thrown into this pit, and he kind of had this breaking moment. And I think a lot of times we have these breaking moments where we, where we may not be necessarily in a pit looking up, but we may lay in a bed at night looking up and think, what is going on? Where is God? What's happening? And it's kind of like we get used to our own little world. We get used to controlling things, right? That's a big thing for us. We like to control things. You guys look at like the, the marionette puppets or, or any kind of puppet really, but the, the ones that you kind of can make and, and manipulate and dance and all that kind of stuff, they're getting real old looking and creepy. Yeah, those, those kind of puppets, they have strings that go down. Well, it's kind of like that. We have a string that goes down to our work. We have a string that goes down to our school. We have a string that goes down to our relationship. We have a string that goes down to our sport. We have a string that goes down to our friendships. And we kind of just manipulate and control it and try to do anything we can to control our situation and, and, and take hold of what we're, where we're at and what we're doing. And it's kind of that moment where Joseph was like, I'm living this comfortable life. I have everything under control. I know exactly where I am. And there's a breaking moment where he's in the bottom of a pit looking up thinking, what in the world just happened? You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> it kind of changed the perspective a little bit. It kind of changed Joseph's point of view a little bit. The greatest illusion, I think, the greatest illusion is of the illusion that you can control things. The greatest illusion in life is the illusion that you can actually control your life and where it goes and what it does. All these things happen, and you say, why me? Or, or where are you, God? We kind of have this place where bad, when bad things come and where things happen, 
we look up and we're like, where are you, God? What's happening? If you were really here, why would this be going on? You know what I'm talking about? I've thought it before. We kind of put ourselves in a situation, and the truth of Scripture is, listen to this, the truth of Scripture is that God is most powerfully present when he seems to be most apparently absent. In the moment where we think that God is nowhere near, nowhere in sight, that we have no idea what's going on, that's the moment that God is most powerfully present. You have no idea he's there, but he's there. He's there, he's represented, he's there, he's working in your life. Look over in Genesis 39, kind of skips ahead a little bit. And we go to see where Joseph was sold into slavery, and he was sold to Potiphar, who was this kind of this high official in Pharaoh's court. So Potiphar takes Joseph, and this is kind of where the story picks up in Joseph in Genesis 39. It says, Now Joseph has been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who brought him down there. Listen to this. The Lord was with Joseph. And he came, he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. The Lord was with Joseph. The man who just got taken from his home, betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, and sold into slavery, and all of a sudden you, he's a slave of a high-ranking official in Pharaoh's court. He's a servant. And it says, the Lord is with Joseph. What? No, he's not. There's no way. We kind of grow up with this idea, this ideology, this idea that we have, that the, if the Lord is really with us, I grew up this way. I, I thought this way when I was growing up, and I thought this way all, almost all, really all throughout college, and I thought, if the Lord is really with me, then good things are going to happen. And when the bad things happen, it was like, God, you're not really there. Like, what's happening? We kind of grow up with this idea that good things constantly happen if God's with us. Look in verse 3. It says, His master saw that the Lord was with him. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight and attended, found favor in his sight and attended him. And he was made overseer of the house and put in charge of all that he had. There was something different about Joseph, okay? Potiphar noticed that there was something different about Joseph. He noticed that the Lord was with Joseph. Though Joseph was stripped of his coat, he wasn't stripped of his identity. And though, even though he was abandoned by his entire family, almost his entire family, he, he, he didn't abandon his God. kept going back to this idea that the Lord is with Joseph. The Lord is with Joseph. Look in verse 5. It says, From the time that he made him overseer in the house and over all that the Lord blessed the over all that the Lord had blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Well why didn't he bless Joseph for Joseph's sake? He chose to bless Potiphar because Joseph responded and obeyed the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'd be a little bit, a little, te- little teed off. <laughs> if I'm obeying God, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, then I want God to bless me, right? That's the way it should go. 
Why didn't he bless Joseph because of Joseph? I'm not sure. I really don't know. But I think it's a really important part of the passage. Sometimes it doesn't make sense why God does the things he does, but he still expects us to obey. He still expects us to do what he asks us to do. Look at the next part. It says, So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. That's a sweet gig. <laughs> you have somebody working for you, and he's doing everything that it needs to be done, and all you have to worry about is the next meal. <laughs> That'd be pretty awesome. Potiphar has set Joseph up to be in charge of everything. Everything. Now listen to this next passage. Now Joseph was handsome in form, Sean Lowe, bachelor, in appearance, and after a time his master and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. He's a good-looking dude. And said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of my master, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his house. And he has put me, he's put me, put everything that he has in my charge. He has, he has no, not greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then... Can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Not sin against himself, not sin against Potiphar, sin against God. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, remember that, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, and to be with her. It's a powerful passage. And the only reason I bring it to you is because it is a powerful passage. The situation, in my mind, makes Joseph a hero. I mean, this dude doesn't have an accountability group. He's not meeting with a couple of guys on the side to be like, hey, this girl's trying to, you know, do whatever, and I need to get away. Like, no, Joseph is able to, because of the Lord, resist temptation, okay? And temptation takes on a lot of forms. Temptation takes on a lot of different things in our lives, and we get confused, and we get kind of in a spot of vulnerability, and that's when evil comes, and that's when temptation comes, and that's when things happen, right? I think, no, I think that, I think that Joseph in this moment, I think, I think he kind of had this moment of leverage, kind of had this moment of like, maybe if I did this, then I find favor with Potiphar's wife and she could help me escape and all this kind of stuff. And I think that we kind of rationalize sin in, the, in those moments. But you see what Joseph did? It says day after day, Temptation came. Let me tell you something. Temptation is relentless. It doesn't stop. You avoid it one day, it comes back the next day three, three times stronger, right? Don't ever abandon God. Don't ever abandon your God-given values because you're trying to pursue something better or something greater. Like I said, you know, we get focused on our own goals and our own plans. And sometimes we compromise and we, we fall into temptation and we compromise our, our morale and, and we get confused. And don't ever compromise your God-given values. So what happens is as we move forward in the story, it says, but one day he went into the house to do work and none of the men of the house was there, were there in the house. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, but, his gar but he left his garment in his hand and fled out of the house and got out of the house as soon as, he saw, as she saw that he left his garment in her hand and he had fled in the house. That's a good word for us. Flee temptation, right? Joseph fleed. He got out of the house. 
she called to the men of her household and said, See, he has, brought among, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He had come in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, he left his garment and fled out of the house. What I don't, it's crazy about that particular part of the story is that he ends up getting sentenced because he goes to prison. He ends up getting sentenced for the very thing that he avoided. For the very thing that he avoided and the temptation that he avoided, he ends up going to prison for. It's incredibly hard for us to be faithful to God when we feel like God's not being faithful to us. You know what I mean? When we feel like God's being unfair to us, it's incredibly hard for us to be like, God, we're all about you, right? But sometimes just because we do exactly what God has called us to do or just because we're obedient to what God has called us to do doesn't mean that God's going to be like, you know what, because you're so good, here's this. Sometimes God allows us the opportunity to go through more bad stuff, as hard as it is. But we're to stay faithful through it all. Just for the sake of time, I'll tell you a little bit of the rest of the story. He goes and he goes and he goes to prison and he finds, finds favor with the prison warden, which is kind of odd, but he finds favor with the prison warden and there's this guy, uh, there's a chief cupbearer and there's a chief baker that are in prison with him. And they both have dreams, and Joseph helps interpret the dreams. And he says to the cupbearer that, you know what, man, three days from now, you're going to be back in Pharaoh's court. You're going to be back where you need to be, back in your cupbearer position, uh, which is a pretty high position. And he told the other dude that he was basically going to be executed in three days. And so the story goes, in chapter 40, starting in verse 14, Joseph interprets the cupbearer's dream, and then he tells him, he says, only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. He goes, and he's like, man, this just, just this one last thing. Just this one last thing. Will you please just mention me to Pharaoh? Will you please just remember me? We kind of have these moments where we pray, and we're like, God, just, just this one thing. Will you please just keep my family together? God, will you please just keep this person from passing away? Will you please keep me from, from failing these classes? Will you please keep me from, um, from, from my friends from hurting me and making fun of me? Will you please, and it's just an on and on and on. We kind of go down to this one moment where we're like, God, please just remember me in this moment. Please just help me in this moment. You haven't helped me all the way up till now, and that's okay. I still love you, and I'm still faithful to you, but please help me in this one moment. And the next Thing I want you to read down in 23, it says the, the cupbearer basically goes back to Pharaoh's court and it says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot. Did not remember Joseph, but forgot. God could have done something miraculous. He could have like flung open the doors of the jail and everybody go free and Joseph's gone free and everything's going to be great and well again, or Pharaoh comes down and personally escorts him out, or something crazy could have happened. But he, but he didn't. And I think we were talking about earlier that roller coaster ride. I think we kind of ride the, the roller coaster emotion too much. And you know why? Because a lot of times we put our faith in what God does instead of what, who God is. A lot of times we put our faith in what God does instead of who God is. And so when God doesn't give us what we necessarily want or, or doesn't reveal it in the way that we thought we should go, we get 
gut-wrenched. We get plummeted to the bottom. We're like, what in the world's going on? Listen, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's happening in your world right now where you are. I don't know how long you've been in it. I don't know the temptations that you're in or maybe a situation with your family or maybe you don't know what's going on or where God is, but I'm telling you, he's there. The story of Joseph is kind of a little crazy, but it's really cool. And I think if we learn anything from how Joseph acts in all of it is that it really matters how you respond. People are watching. Look, Potiphar saw that there was favor with Joseph. And I think that no matter the circumstance, no matter what you're going through, no matter how long you've been in it, it really matters how you respond. It really matters what's going on. Just one last thing. How many of you guys would just be honest tonight and just say, I'm kind of going through some stuff. I thought God was going to go this way, but he's not going this way, and I'm just kind of caught in a rut. Anybody, anybody with me tonight? My hand's raised. Yeah, I think the majority of us kind of, kind of feel with that. Listen, the whole point of what I'm trying to say to you is this. We get stuck in our own world. We get stuck in our own situation, what we want, where we want to go, and we kind of neglect the fact that God's going to do what he wants to do. And his plan A is to glorify himself. His plan A is to use us to glorify himself. And so our plan A is to glorify and worship him. And our little plan Bs, they don't work. There is no plan B. To follow God, to be a true Christian, to really honor what he's trying to show you and teach you means to really, 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 really be centered on his plan A, and that is to glorify him no matter what happens in your life. He may call you to go do something crazy. He may call you <coughs> to, do, to be stuck in a rut for a really long time. Hebrews talks about the men and women of the Bible and how some were, some were going off and, and being successes and others were being sawn and torn in two and being chewed on like a doggy toy for the rest of their life. And guess what? God is still there in the midst of all of it. In the midst of success and failures, it's not a matter of what God does in your life. It's a matter of who God is in your life. Dear Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you for these students. God, I pray, Father, as you are working in their heart and in their mind, Father, that you would acknowledge, Lord, that you would help us acknowledge, Father, that you are above everything else in our life. God, we look at Luke 14, 26, God, that we are to hate everything. And it's not a matter of hating everything, but, Father, the matter of putting you above everything else in our lives, Father, that you are more and you are enough for us in our lives where we are right now. So, God, I pray, Father, if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know you as Lord, somebody that doesn't believe in you, Father, that doesn't know who you are, Jesus, God, that they would come to understand that, Father, there is no, there is no life apart from you, God. That, God, you came down from heaven to die on the cross for our sins so that all the wretchedness that is us, Father, would be taken away. And, God, I pray for the rest of us, Father, that tend to be caught up in our own little minute worlds and get caught up in where we are, Father, that we would be so repentant right now. God, that we would 
beg you for forgiveness and God claim that, Father, your plan is the only plan for us. God, may we be kingdom-minded. Lord, we love you and we praise you. and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God has a plan for each and every one of you. You're a part of a bigger story than just yourself. God paints on a bigger canvas than you can ever dream of. And just because he's working on you over here in the corner and working on somebody else over here in the corner doesn't exclude you from the big picture of what God is trying to accomplish. Okay? All right? Love you guys. Chris wants to do something real quick with you guys, and then uh, you guys are free to go after that. Hey, guys. Hey. Give Brian a hand, guys. That was really good tonight. You know, he really is true, guys. God has a weird way of working, and the older you get, the more you realize that, but his plan is always better. All right, hey, how many people have Instagram in here? Hold your hands up if you have Instagram. Well, we now have an Instagram here at First Students, so if you guys have been dying to follow us, now you can. So everyone, get your phones out. Go on Instagram right now and type First Students in. Now, the I is not an I. It's a one and not an I. It's a one, okay? Do you, get, do you see what we did there? Because it's like First Students and first is number one. So there's a one. There's a one there. <laughs> so anyways, if you guys are on there, you'll notice that we don't have any pictures. How would you guys like to be our very first picture? <laughs> All right. I need everyone just to scooch in. Everyone scooch into the middle so I can take a picture of you guys. Everyone scooch. Everyone scooch. Everyone scooch. I'm going to get on this. All right, everybody. Ready? One, two, three. There we go. Good job, everybody. We'll see you guys next week. Bring a friend next week, guys. Get the stuff I wrote it now. I'm milk carton status, and different can't explain it.